Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Today, our guest is Ilse Calderon, principal at Ovo Fund. Welcome, Ilse. Thank you, Mario. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to chat a little bit more with you. Yeah, I'm excited as well. I believe you are the first kind of like guest in the investor realm. So this is exciting. And you also have a lot of thoughts and experience in multicultural. So I'm really glad to have you on. Before we dive in, um, we'd love to have you introduce yourself to your listeners. Like, how did how, how did you become... Uh, principal at OVO Fund. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm happy to provide a little bit more context. Um, like you mentioned, I'm a principal at OVO Fund. And OVO, we are a super, super early stage fund. Traditionally, we like to invest in the first round of capital that a company raises and then you know, follow on from there. And so in that first round, we're looking to put in about a 500K check and um, you know, double down from that point. Because we're incredibly early investors, oftentimes, we're investing when there's maybe no traction on the company side. Um, You know, it's probably a little bit more than like an idea on a napkin. But I mean, you know, nothing is too early for us, truly speaking. And so I've been at this fund for the past four years now. And when I joined, I joined as an associate. And I really joined as sort of a guinea pig test for the partner, my boss. And the reason I say this is because he had just closed the second fund of OVO. The first fund had been just him. The second fund was a little bit bigger at 35 million, still really small in the grand scheme of things. And he was looking to bring on someone to help him deploy the capital. And so at that time, I was only a year into my career. I was doing venture debt and really looking to leave that world to get involved on the equity side of things. And so I connected with my boss through a connection and one thing led to the next and, you know, timing truly is everything. And ultimately at four years ago, I ended up joining and it's been a great journey, a great experience. And I truly believe venture is an apprenticeship business. And so to that, I do have a lot to to my partner, my boss, who has given me a lot of great learnings and someone awesome to learn from, as well as the greater oboe ecosystem and community. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me. That's great. And and what's like what's the thesis? So your early stage, is there a type of companies or founders that you specifically invest in? Yeah, I mean, we truly are very generalist. And, you know, at the earliest stage at the pre-seed, I don't even necessarily think it makes sense to do a, you know, a sector specific fund. That's because oftentimes founders and companies change so much that like even going back and looking at our portfolio, I feel like if we would have said no to a certain industry, then, you know, we wouldn't have gotten into the deals that at times have been our best performing ones. And so truly sector agnostic, we do have some 
knows, and that's probably hardware stuff. Um, really, if the company needs more than two million to get to some strong signal of product market fit, then it probably doesn't make sense. But you know, most software things, most consumer uh, tech enabled things um, fall into the realm that does make sense for Ovo. Nice. And um, how I became aware of you and your career was through an article, I believe it was in Forbes, I could be wrong, but it was, um, you had coined the term hypercultural Latinx, and that obviously dovetails with what we do here at Think Now. Um, I guess, one, tell us, like, how did that term come to be, hypercultural Latinx, and does that intersect at all with your work at Oboe Fund? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, a big reason that I started publishing and really speaking more publicly about what I call the rise of the hypercultural Latinx is because, well, anecdotally speaking, it makes sense and it goes back to my background. I'm Mexican. Both of my parents were were born in Mexico. And so I spent the first 10 years of my life there. And then luckily my dad, you know, really wanted my sisters and I to pursue higher education in the United States. And so definitely have a lot to thank him there. Um, and so we moved our family to Houston, Texas when I was 10 years old and, you know, went to middle and high school there. And then it really, was during college when I moved to California and uh, enrolled at Stanford. And so those opportunities were definitely afforded to me because of, you know, some of the sacrifices that my parents made. But I say all of this to point to the fact that my thesis and what I talk about around the rise of the hypercultural Latinx really is because of a lot of the experiences that I had growing up and even now looking at the way the venture ecosystem looks and, you know, everything from the types of founders that get back to the types of companies that get back. I feel like there's this massive white space opportunity in investing in product services and platforms that really are geared at um, this new ever-increasing rise of people that I call the hypercultural Latinx. And it really represents a young person, someone in their probably 18 to 30-year-old range that um, is sort of living this pseudo-cultural, bicultural atmosphere in the U.S. and still carries a lot of the um, traditions and cultures that their Hispanic parents ingrained in them, but at the same time, they're immersed in an American culture and have somehow um, combined both of them to to form their own. And I mean, a lot of this might sound anecdotal, but if you even look at the data, which I'm sure like some of the articles you've written yourself in, in the Think Now community have, point to the fact that it actually makes a whole lot of sense to target Hispanics, young Hispanics to be more specific. They are twice as likely to engage with ads, twice as likely to be in mobile and, you know, all these other trends that just um, make sense to me. And so going back to your question of um, how hypercultural Latinx is tied to Ovo Fund, I've been very lucky that I've been very encouraged by my team to pursue this thesis. And, you know, I use it to look at the types of companies that I'm interested in investing. And so one of those companies is Suma Wealth. And, 
It's by it's founded by the ex-founder of Me Too, which I don't know if you or the audience is aware, but you know they've sort of built a really big voice around um, Hispanic youth on the digital media side. But the founder Beatriz is now trying to do a similar company, but in the fintech space, targeted at this same audience of Hispanic youth. Um, and this is just like an example of a company that's perfectly in line with with my thesis. <laughs> yeah, very familiar with uh, Beatriz. I know her personally, did a lot oh, of work, nice. um, research with her and me too. We did some fantastic research. We actually did some research for Summa Wealth. Um, so oh, nice. A big fan of, of what she's building. I didn't know that Ovo Fund was an investor, so we were meant to talk. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, um, that's, yeah, that, I, I love the word hypercultural Latinx. I mean, I think it points to your point that bicultural consumer, um, bicultural Latinx consumer, rather, that's mm-hmm. younger. Um, but I think the hypercultural, to me, when I read it and kind of read your thoughts about it, it's like bicultural is one thing. But mm-hmm. when we look at hypercultural, it's like I, I think the Internet and social, Me Too is a great example of this. There's a need for digital natives to talk about their culture, in this case, Latinx culture online, like whether it's memes, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like just no, like really talk yeah. about their, their culture. Um, but also being, you know, squarely American as well. Absolutely. And I think like, to your point, one of the things that doesn't get mentioned a lot, which I wish it did, it was, is the, is this fact that Hispanic youth are actually trendsetters. And this is important because it means they have influence, influence among their communities, among their friend groups, which actually tend to be more diverse than their white counterpart friend groups. And so there's just like a lot to dig into. Um, but you're right. Like I think bicultural is one thing and hypercultural points to um, something bigger and something more involved with the new generation and, you know, the diversity even outside of uh, the Hispanic community that exists within the United States. For sure. I think of like Selena, right? Like um, yeah. such a an icon has been the top of consciousness, a uh, top of mind, I should say, mm-hmm. among Latinx in the U.S. since the 90s, right? Since when she was alive and making music. Um, um, then she did crossover. Um, and then, you know, the American public started to know about her. I mean, she had an, an untimely death. But fast mm-hmm. forward now, like, she's become an icon um, prior to the Netflix series, like, you know, there was some collaborations. I think Mac did something mm-hmm. with makeup. Um, but I feel like everybody knew about Selena. And I feel like a lot of that was driven by hyperculture Latinx, like keeping her in the public mind. And then Netflix dropped that series mm-hmm. and everybody was watching it. I mean, I think it was like number one across the world. So, of course, Latinos are watching it. But I feel like just, you know, all audiences were watching it. I mean, is that kind of an example of, of, of hypercultural Latinx influence on culture in your perspective? Yeah, that's definitely an example. And I think 
you know, it shows how this is much bigger than just the Hispanic community when massive brands like MAC Cosmetics, like Netflix are noticing and putting something out there to an audience that is far greater than just the Hispanic community and, you know, is being successful. And so I think that definitely points to to, to the fact that we need to be, we as brands, as companies, as investors need to be paying more attention to this audience because to me, like I said earlier, it's just like a really white space opportunity. And I really do think that for whatever reason, um, Hispanic and Latino influencers, and this could be celebrities or, you know, other sorts of voices have been able to transcend generations and groups. Um, but I do think that, you know, when I think about consumer companies, oftentimes they're very saturated and most consumer companies, at least in the venture world, all target the same type of audience, right? They're targeting a coastal sort of young person that has a certain amount of disposable income and is looking to buy from brands. And while that's an audience and interesting I think that's saturated and where the bigger opportunity and more hidden opportunity lies is in targeting this customer segment that I'm alluding to as the hypercultural Latinx and then later using it to transcend and to move across different audiences. That's such a, that's such a cool thought. I mean, I'm, I'm not, like, I, um, I love your perspective as an investor because as a researcher, right, we work with Fortune 500 brands that um, are looking to kind of capture an audience. So, um, of course, like Latinx is the largest um, minority group, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or underrepresented group in the U.S. And then you have Black and then Asian. And so we position kind of market share, like growth. But to your point, I think that's really interesting. Potential companies, founders looking to start companies, instead of like, creating a product or service that is saturated, right? Where everyone goes to like, even mm-hmm. simple things, you, you talked about mobile, like a pet mm-hmm. peeve of mine, for example, <laughs> Every everyone like launches their iPhone app first. And yeah. it's like, to me, a white space opportunity is like Android one, <laughs> more, more people have Androids, right? Like for sure. And like Latinx over index in that. Um, yeah, so I, no, I absolutely. Small, like, Especially if you think about like Latinx outside of the United States, that definitely over indexes. I was telling you earlier before we hit record that I was just um, spending vacation in Costa Rica and Panama. And I mean, there, um, it's definitely the land of the Android and not the iPhone. Globally, it is, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, and even like in the US, like we tend to be in our bubbles and think, you know, we all have iPhones, but like really the vast majority of like people, Americans even have Android. But that being said, I loved your perspective that um, as a company, if you're looking for a def- differentiator outside of a feature, like audience is, 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 is key. And so if you're able to capture Latinx audience, one, not only are you capturing a place that there's so much space, but two, the outsized impact to your point, like trendsetters, right? So you get Latinx right, it's so much easier to transition into general market. And then another point that you alluded to, so many of us have connections to Latin America. So like the ability to go global from that perspective is just that much easier if you 
make a product that Latinx in the U.S. embrace. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was recently talking to a company and um, your point came to mind because they're also in the fintech space, but what they're trying to do is move across generations and even outside of the United States, right? So the product focuses on, let's say, the children um, of Hispanic audiences that live in the U.S., but, you know, it goes all the way to using that as a go-to-market strategy to tap into like the grandparents living in Mexico um, and all these other Latin American countries. Yeah, I, it reminds me, one of my favorite case studies, we had a client, um, we had a client, she worked for another company, she was, and, and we did a follow-up study to it. But the case study was, um, it was a flower company. Um, it was like a 1-800-Flowers. It wasn't 1-800-Flowers, mm-hmm. but something similar to that, right? Like direct-to-consumer. Um, and they were launching their first Spanish campaign. I think it was like via radio. Mm-hmm. And so they were driving people to a Spanish language landing page for um, for flowers on the radio. So they launched the app, like put lots of dollars, big campaign behind it. Great, sitting back, let's track it, looking at the Spanish language website. Very little increase in traffic. Mm-hmm. So my client, she was a consultant for this company at the time, was like, this can't be right. Like, we got the messaging right. We got it in language. We did our research of what DMA is. Let's see what's going on. So she asked for the numbers of the English language site during the same time that those spots had aired. So lo and behold, huge increases in the English language site. But like, it didn't make sense, right? So she sat trying to think what's going on, what she landed on, and we actually did research um, subsequently to confirm this hypothesis was that Spanish language um, radio tends to be older Latinx, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and so they would hear that, call their sons, daughters, you know, nieces, nephews, say, hey, I heard this out on the radio, can you get me flowers for X, Y, and Z? So you had this kind of cross-generational, you know, cross-pollinating where you have the Spanish language ad, but the person that I was actually doing the purchase was English dominant, most likely a hypercultural Latinx, right? Um, yeah. So the follow-up study we did was really cool. We, we, we took that idea and that hypothesis and talked about, and this was aimed at younger Latinx. We researched younger Latinx, like, have you ever purchased something for an older family member? Have you ever purchased something where they told you to buy it in Spanish and you bought it in English? And it was like, all those numbers confirmed, like, you know, twice as likely than the general market to have purchased something for their parents. Um, so like when you advertise to hypercultural Latinx, or when you advertise to Spanish dominant Latinos, like you're getting this cross-general pollination that doesn't happen as often in non-Latino households. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I can definitely resonate with that, both from a personal perspective and like what I see in terms of companies um, as well. For sure. We all have had our parents ask us to buy stuff on, send us, (laughs) send us, they'll, they'll even have the link, right? And like text it to you. Like, no, I know. My, my <laughs> mom is even worse. She sends me screenshots 
of pictures and she's like, can you buy me this without a link, without a name <laughs> of what it is? So, so yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, so I think we've established like hypercultural Latinx. I mean, this is a, a valuable group, I think, both from an investment perspective, from companies looking to start, this is a great target. I think for existing companies looking to expand their market, like in general, like, do you have advice for companies? Like, how do you better connect with hypercultural Latinx? Or if, if you're not connecting, like, how do you even start that journey? Yeah, no, that's a good question and something that I also think about. And I think it's important to um, point to what type of company is looking to connect with this hypercultural Latinx, right? Because, you know, if it's a bigger brand like the Walmarts of the world, let's say they're trying to build a campaign around this audience in the U.S., then that's definitely a very different approach than if you're starting from scratch from a beginning and building for, from the ground up for Hispanics, right? And so, for example, um, Walmart, I just pointed to them. They're a really big company. And I, I think it, it was in 2017 or 2018 that they actually got an award for being um, the best boys of Hispanic marketing in the US. And so I saw this and I sort of thought, what the heck? That doesn't make sense. Um, not to boo anyone that works there, but, you know, Walmart is definitely not aspirational in the same way these other brands are. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because I think, you know, with someone that has the budget that a company like Walmart does, if they're trying to reach this Hispanic audience, it definitely needs to be done differently than a younger brand. Um, but regardless of brand, I think that generally speaking, my advice is to look, authenticity sells. And I think nowadays audiences and consumers are incredibly smart and they can see past non-authentic approaches to companies that aren't doing this. Um, a couple months ago, or actually maybe now it was in 2020, time passes so fast now, I saw that Kmart put out this ad um, and it was in Spanish. And you would have thought someone, you know, there was probably a huge team there. But it was actually ridiculous because uh, what they ended up writing was really derogative in informal Spanish. And so you would have thought that like this marketing copy would have gotten sent to someone that at least spoke Spanish or, you know, knew the colloquial language of the different areas of of different Spanish speaking countries. Um, and so to me, that seems like a miss, right? It seems like a mistake that shouldn't have been done. But it also makes me think that these larger companies aren't doing it right, and it might be harder for them to do it right. And so I actually have lots of hope that like the next generation of companies that maybe aren't even around today or are in their infancy are the ones that are going to grab a bigger pie of the hypercultural Latinx audience. Um, but I would say be authentic. And I also think it's really important to have shared lived experiences. What I mean to say is it's important for the founders, the managing, the management team or whoever's in charge of bringing this marketing to the world for them to present themselves as an expert in this audience for various reasons they could. Um, and it kind of goes to my point of me saying that just consumers are really smart nowadays and that they can see past those attempts that might not be um, authentic. 
Yeah, that's such a good point. And I feel like, you know, I think because I work with bigger brands, I often feel <laughs> like, oh, they have the they have the upper hand. But yeah. It's it's you're right. It it is more difficult to move a, a huge ship, right? Like I just think mm-hmm. of like a big ship, like it just moves little by little. Whereas these up and coming brands, if they think about this consumer from the onset, that's such a huge advantage. Like you yeah. can, you can get Latinx right from the beginning rather because it's very difficult to change to to become authentic yeah. as a large corporation or as a large company versus a company that just starts out authentic and and I like your point about authenticity I mean I think one of the key things you know I always get asked like how do we become authentic or how do we resonate authentic I mean at at the minimum you have to have somebody from that culture on your team or working with you in some kind of consulting capacity to make sure you're getting it right. Yeah. Otherwise, no, otherwise I... you have these marketing gaffes, like you mentioned, like, I mean, I have a growing blog of like Latinx marketing mishaps that are just like, how is this happening in, in 2021? Right. Yeah. I guess 2022 now, but 2022 yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I haven't I haven't seen any mishaps yet, so that's why I said twenty twenty one. We'll see. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, we're only six days into the new year, so <laughs> hopefully, you don't see any come December twenty twenty two. But another thing that I wanted to point to is to your question of, um, you know, what companies can do to market to this audience. I think as it relates to hypercultural Latinx, there's this strong element of social buying that needs to be explored more. Um, So for example, there's this company called Stella and Dot, and um, they're very big now, but you know, the genesis of the company is to sell um, jewelry, sort of like fast fashion type of jewelry. And they've been very successful at it, but it did take that team a really long time to get it right. And part of their secret sauce, in my opinion, is their social buying platform. And I think Hispanics are even stronger when it comes to this, because like, if you think of all of these companies that have a sort of, um, like Tupperware party model, um, like they're mostly targeting a Hispanic audience, right? Um, an example is this company called Herbalife or Herbalife in English. And while they might tend to get some negative slack for some of the things that they don't do right, I think one of the things that they do right is their social buying. And like, if you look them up, 80% of their audience is Hispanic woman. And so like, that's just huge to me. (laughs) So I think that that's another element that um, brands and companies could play with if they're trying to target Hispanic audiences. Yeah, that's 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 such an interesting component. I I haven't thought about that, and and I think it's it's I think it's particularly relevant right now, right? When you look at companies being started, you're seeing community thrown around so much. Yes. Um, like community, community, community. But like that that that's something that's kind of that's intrinsic in Latinx culture, natural. Like if it's if it's harnessed correctly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what I'm getting at, but I agree. Yeah, well, this has been super insightful. I mean, believe it or not, we're almost running up with our, our time, but like if, if you had to leave the companies, people listening, 
with just some like last best practices, words of wisdom for reaching hypercultural Latinx, what, what would that be? Yeah, I would say that there's not going to be, at least in my opinion, a winner take all in this market. And so I would encourage companies that are really interested in this audience to formulate their own flavor of targeting this audience and testing, right? It kind of goes back to the lean startup methodology of uh, testing and experimenting and not waiting until something is perfect to put it out there. And I would encourage even big brands to do some element of this. Great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on, Ilse. Um, for people that want to follow you on social, connect with you, can you drop some of your social handles or the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I guess I have a kind of difficult name, but the best way to get in touch with me is just my first name at ovofun.com or people can always follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Again, awesome. just my first name and last name. Yeah, I'm going to spell your name just quickly for those, you know, in that maybe don't have access to writing something down or typing I L S E last name C A L D E R O N. Thanks so much again, Elsie. And thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Thank you, Mario. This has been great. Thanks to everyone listening in to get more multicultural insights. Check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.